0: All CEOs, me included, we don't actually know what we're doing. They're all sharks, so all you got to do, though, is no shark bait. I don't think we've ever talked about this before. <laughs> <laughs> we can capture all of the wallet share.
1: First place you start is with the product.
0: That's just the first nut.
1: This is the capital step. Hey everybody, this is David Paul, the host of the Capital Stack podcast where I talk to founders, operators and investors about all things value creation and startups. Today I am talking to Will Shaw, who is the founder and CEO of Better Agency, which is a B2B SaaS platform for independent insurance brokers. He helps them sell more, get more, become better organized. And uh, he services an end of the market that you know is difficult. You know it's SMB, but he has found a way to do it, and he is standing up for the little guy, which I've got a huge amount of respect for. Will, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing. I'm doing good. I'm glad that it's finally cooling down. Yeah. Was it bad this summer?
0: Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Rule of thumb: Don't be in Arizona July, but really July, August. But this summer was especially brutal.
1: Like even poor people figure out how to get out of Arizona for the summer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You got to find a way to be, be gone. <laughs> like, we we they just generally figure do. it
1: out. Like they just go stay with somebody they don't like. In a different
0: yeah. State. Like find any reason not to be here. <laughs> um, it's the reason you can stay at the nice hotels and resorts here for an affordable price in July and August. Exactly.
1: And you have two girls. Yes. Okay. And what did they do this summer?
0: Um, well, we get out to my wife's sister lives up in Oregon so we go up there usually for a couple of weeks. It's convenient. My wife and I can work from up there. Um, but we have a pool, but at some point end of July, August, it's like, can you even go in the pool? There's
1: only so much pool you can do. Yeah. Right? So you hit the pool,
0: like right when they wake up, cause the pool is still kind of okay. Yeah. And it's like, all right, we can't go back in the pool. It's too hot. Yeah. We try to put in misters. That only helps so much. Like there's only so much you can do. And it's yeah. like, all right, we're going to go to the aquarium. We're going to go to, um, we're going to go to like the, uh, the dinosaur museum thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you start quickly running out of things to do and it's like, all right, what, what can we do? We're building forts in the house. Like I got a three-year-old and a one-year-old. So yeah. it's like, we're building forts in the house. We're trying to, we're going to everybody else's house. Like we're just rotating. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's only so much you can do. And you, you do quickly start to feel like you're running out of things to do. Cause it's like, you really don't want to be outside. They don't want to be outside, which is kind of a bummer. Cause like my trick to when my kids are crying is just take them outside. They stop crying. So like, what do you do? And, uh,
1: that's interesting. I should try that. Take your kids outside. It's a total, like a, like a a refresh. Yeah.
0: It's like for my, my first daughter, we did that. So my first daughter, uh, came in 2020 peak of COVID. And so we were literally locked indoors and she came a month early. Everybody was fine, but she had a, what's called jaundice. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we, we went home and, they're like, Hey, literally just like, I know it's hot. Cause it was May, uh, uh, uh end of May when we had her and like sticker kind of like in the window where she gets some sunshine, you know, and that'll help. And so like that became my thing I did with my daughters. I just like would walk to the window and I would walk outside. And what I realized is when I couldn't get her to stop crying, I would just walk outside middle of night, middle of day. Didn't matter. I would just walk outside and for some reason would just stop her crying. And so since then, my daughters have just, I've always done that with them and they've always just seemed to stop crying. And they just enjoy being outside, so we just go outside all the time.
1: You know what I do when my daughters cry? What? I walk outside.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I try to hide from it. Yeah, exactly. my, my wife the joke like when, uh, when our other daughter started, started crying in the middle of the night, I would stick a pillow over my, like, over my <laughs> ear and just try to like hide from it. But, yeah,
1: three and one, that sucks. We have a five and two threes right now. Yeah. And it still sucks.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's not good. They're great sleepers, so I'll give them a lot of credit. They, they're, not, they're not too bad, but our second one's uh. She's, uh, she, I'm like convinced she's either going to be an entrepreneur and run something or she's going to like run a gang in prison. Like she's just two extremes. Yeah. One of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And rep, you know, almost the same skill (laughs) set.
0: Yeah. Yeah, It's a very, it's very close, man. There's something about it.
1: Yeah. So four years in, you still like it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. We love, I mean, I still love it. Um, it's interesting because you, you always get like, for what I've learned about myself is. I feel like there's a couple of different types of entrepreneurs. Are you a company builder, right? Like, are you really great at, you know, building a culture, building a team and building this large organization? Or are you really good at being like a entrepreneur that's like tinkering and like wants to do different things? And what I've learned about myself is I'm really good at the little things. I'm really good at like people that could fit in this room. Like, can mm-hmm. I work with four or five people and just do different little things constantly? And I've been able to carve that out in better agency. And I realize I thrive way better at that than I do at being like the traditional, let's build a 50, 100, 200 person company. Like, I think I'm better at that. You can still do that. But I, I think that's where my skill set is, is like, I got to be doing something that's different now than it was three months ago. Otherwise, I don't think I thrive as well And like being a traditional A routine, like the tradition. Even though I'm a routine guy, does that make sense? Yeah, what I'm saying there. No, totally.
1: And what was the defining moment that you realized that this is more you than the guy that's doing the all hands that you know wants to you know have multi you know multi uh, department you know roll ups and you know one on ones and all that stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I think part of it was looking back at my own career evolution, like when I left football. Um, I, I worked a traditional job and that lasted about a year and a half. It's like, because I was learning something new and I I just like, I started stacking this like, and then my next business, the business I started when I left my job was about a year and a half. And then the next business was about a year and a half. And it's like, I got into better agency and everything was changing so fast that it's well, you know, three, four years into it or, you know, three years into it or since we launched, but I've been working on it for four years. It's like it's gone fast enough that I'm constantly changing. There's a constant evolution, but at some point it's like, you know, so I, I just kind of went back and I started looking at like, when, how do I make sure that I don't burn out in my own business? Because I've kind of done that in my job and previous businesses where every year to two years I was changing drastically what I was working on. And so better agencies kind of given me this place where it, we're moving so fast that things are changing every year to two years that I'm not getting burned out. But how do I maintain that so that I can, you know, see this through where I want to see it to.
1: So was it a matter of necessity that you feel like you, you did it or did the business just kind of evolve into that
0: naturally? I think in the beginning it was, it happened naturally because everything was going so fast that I didn't feel like um, I was getting stuck kind of doing the same thing over long periods of time. I think then it became, okay, I'm, now I'm having kids in this, now I'm trying to like, you know maintain a marriage in this now I'm trying to do all these different things while running better agency. It became a point of necessity. Like I I can't leave better agency. I don't want to leave better agency. So so how do I keep that going? And what I've realized is I've been able to put myself into different projects and different areas of the business to kind of just keep going and keep that um almost like almost freshness of like, hey, I'm working on something different. There's a different priority. There's something different that we're working on. And there's almost like a different project within Better Agency that keeps my focus. That keeps me going.
1: Yeah, yeah. Do you think that there's a half life for founders?
0: I do, and I, I, I don't know. I, I think everybody's a little bit different. I think it's. I think there's a stigma though that like you have to kind of call out of like. Everybody wants to raise a bunch of capital, everybody wants to go and have this ama- this specific, like, this like defined exit of like, hey, you raise money, you go in, you go do this for five, six, seven years, and you come out of it, and this is what it's supposed to look like. And I think you can kind of call out and say, hey, it doesn't have to look that way. There's a different way of doing things. And can you find your niche within your own business of what works really well for you? Like what works well for you, mate? I think like people tend to like almost like... Sh- poo poo on the idea. I don't know if I need to watch my language or not on the idea of like a lifestyle business, because it, it looks different for everybody else. Like I put a bunch of time in a better agency and we grow really fast and we're doing a bunch of crazy things, but I kind of look at it as my lifestyle business. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to do this one way or another, like right. I can't not do it. Right. Um, and so I, I think there is a stigma to go and do it. Like, I, I think the short answer is yes. And it's trying to create, you know, create your, your ideal out of it.
1: So, do you feel like um, better agencies deviated from that like cookie cutter venture capital path? And when did that happen?
0: Yeah, I th- I think so. I think well, I think part of it was necessity, and part of it is intention intentional. Like just looking at the market, both external market of uh, where we're at here in twenty twenty three, but also like what's going on in insurance, and then how do we help people like. You know we are sticking out for the small guy. We're not working with, you know, Fortune 500 companies. We're talking about our average client has like five or six employees. Like you are talking about the traditional mom and pop business of America, and it's how do you help as many of those while also maintaining good unit economics, like churn ratios, you know, gross margins, you know, uh, um, net revenue retention, things like that. And you have to get creative, like a traditional SaaS play. Maybe it works, but I I don't think it works long term. And I don't think we're able to do the things that we want to do long term in a traditional SaaS place. So, what we look at is, well, where are the opportunities then? Can we, you know, to where we're not just charging the mom and pop business, so we're getting the revenue we need to be able to help them. So, how do we partner with carriers? How do we monetize carriers? How do we monetize the premium that's coming through? How do we help them without taking money out of their pocket so that they can see the fruits of their labor, but we can also get paid for the specialty that we're providing, if that makes sense.
1: So is that a necessity of growth or just, you just can't grab, there's only so much juice you can squeeze.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I think it becomes a necessity no matter how you look at it. Right. Like I think there's a necessity part of it, but I also think it's like, who do you want to be? Like for us, like we're like, we don't, we could go up market. Like we could go up market and work with more, like larger agencies and maybe create some spin-off products that monetize carriers, and we're probably doing that anyways. But we wanted to stay focused on, hey, our, our mission, our purpose here is to help insurance agencies. Our, our core focus is helping agencies sell more premium. Mm-hmm. So how do we help them do that, and how do we help as many people do that? I think we gravitate, because of the team we have, towards the small agencies. Like we could work with large agencies, but they have the budget to pay for developers and integrations and specialty services, they can work with different platforms that already exist out there. We want to work, you know, our thesis was, could we give, you know, small, you know, small agencies, the power that exists in like a Salesforce and things like that without having to pay that large ticket price, without having to bring in a Salesforce administrator, they don't have that budget. Um, And so that's kind of been our area of focus. And so we've been able to find some creative ways to monetize that are maybe less traditional SaaS.
1: Yeah. And I feel like SMB SaaS has gotten like a really bad name. And I, I feel like, it, it, you know, you, a founder goes to market, they get a couple million dollars in sales, you know, they rush to get the sales. And it, because of a selling issue or a product issue or whatever, or just a startup issue based on like not being like a fully baked, you know, right. company, right? You know, there's this churn, and then the common response is, well, we're we're targeting too small of customers, and so we need to go up market because that's where the better customers are. And I was talking to a a company executive of mine about this concept, and it was actually about another insurance tech company, and and he was like, you know, honestly, that's kind of a bullshit excuse, you know, because if you're selling your customer the right value proposition and stuff you actually have and you're implementing it and you're servicing it correctly, you shouldn't have the churn. Right. I mean, obviously there's, there's, you know, if you're selling to like, you know, business coaches, you know, like a solopreneur, there's probably like a higher churn, but you know, if the company's still in business, right, you should be able to keep as long as your company's valuable. Like what do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I agree. I think the hard part you run into, I do think it's a bullshit response. I do think, that you're going to always deal with naturally higher churn and SMB, depending on the ind- industry, to your point, like, you know, unless it's literally solopreneur, which we do see in insurance. And especially in today's market, the challenge in insurance is like carriers aren't running business. We have national carriers that are shutting down. You know, they started shutting down like nationwide started sh- shutting down, running, selling new business back in August. It's like, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, now, People still need insurance, but, you know, you try to push them to renew. And there's some complications there. But, you know, where we where we see it on the small agency size is, you know, hey, we, we do see about, you know, probably on a 15 percent of our clientele on a yearly basis that are either going out of business or getting rolled up.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: They're just exiting one way or another. They're exiting. Either they're mm-hmm. just completely shutting it down. Or they're selling to a strategic or somebody's buying their book of business, mm-hmm. right? And so we see that. But I think to your point, like, if you can get people implemented, and that's kind of the key to the game. I don't care what, if you're dealing in the SMB SaaS game, the kind of dirty secret is like, how do you actually get a small business to actually implement the right, software? Because right. when you're talking that's to- That's what no one talks
1: about. That's what nobody talks right. about.
0: Because you're talking to a business owner- are they really a business owner or are they a technician? Right. right? Like, and I think this goes across industries, but we see it in insurance, right? Like you, you're talking to somebody that probably was really good at selling insurance and mm-hmm. decided to do it for themselves because they want to hire a higher commission. And they've had to hire some people along the way, but they don't maybe really run a great business. They're making a couple hundred grand a year. Yeah. Like when you go and sell them something, you know, that they don't already have or pay for, that's coming out of their bottom line. Like if they've got to figure out how to spend an extra thousand dollars a month, that thousand dollars a month is probably coming out of their, yeah, you know, their pocket.
1: Yeah. They're, they're, and they're giving it to for people that don't really produce that probably that well. Right.
0: right? You know what I mean? They're, so they're not a, ramped. Yeah. And there's a stigma there. And especially in t- like, I know we're talking about like a larger economic cycle right now. That's not what it was a couple of years ago, but in insurance, it's really tough. Like you're talking about, you know, um, you're talking about carriers that don't want to write new business. And so your recommendation as an insurance agent right now is you got to just keep your policy, keep your policy, keep your policy. Well, renewal commission checks are smaller than new business commission checks. Also, there are certain carriers that aren't even renewing. So they might be rolling that business into a state-sponsored program. Well, your, your renewal commission is not going to be 10%, mm-hmm. right? New business is standard at like maybe 12, you know, 13 to 15. Renewal is kind of standard between 8 to 11.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, a state-sponsored program might be 3%. Right. So if you're dropping a three percent on your book of business on some of these policies, it's like that's you're getting crushed. You're getting hammered. If you're if you're coastal right now, you're getting hammered.
1: So is that is the reason because the insurance business is just going off risk?
0: There yes. So there's there's some nuance here and there's some combination here. So like part of it is all the natural disaster that happened in the last couple of years and right now. So there's been an increase in, in some natural disaster, which has increased payouts, right? But the problem is, is you this is where the real nuance happens is you had like replacement costs, right? So like if, let's say your home is valued at 500 grand, the replacement cost isn't 500 grand, but you, you still, there's a value that the insurance companies went off the value of your home. And when you purchased it, we kind of, you can assume what the pre, what the actual replacement cost was going to be based off the value of your home. And I'm kind of breaking that down because the replacement costs that were done in 2018 and 2019, basically pre COVID pre all this inflation, We've seen it here in Arizona, like a home that was valued at 600 grand in 2019, probably today is valued at at least 850, 900,000.
1: So the risk profile is completely off. So
0: you're completely off when people are call, calling in for replacement costs in California and in Florida and in Texas with all these natural disasters. Like you're, the, the payouts are going on way above what is expected And that's the issue. And that's why we're seeing insurance rates that are going to be rising over the next couple of years. And that's why insurance companies are not writing new business because they're just trying to handle basically existing right now. And they're just trying to tighten down. Just manage
1: it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, farmers
0: (laughs) just laid off a bunch of people. Liberty Mutual, and which owns Safeco, laid off a bunch of people. Like, it's just happening across the board. Some of that is the economic environment, but a lot of it for insurance carriers is the risk profile changed in a couple of years before you could reset it. So you've got, and you've got state, say legislator with uh, legislation that only allows you to raise premiums by so much. So you, they can't catch up. It's right. going to take a couple years of raising rates.
1: Yeah. It's like Medicare.
0: Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you, can't, you know, and people yeah. got used to, you know, insurance rates of like, all right, Hey, I'm used to paying this much money for my home insurance or this much money for my auto insurance. Right. Well, those new norms are changing like everything else. Like those, those new norms will probably be double over the next couple of years. When we're so set and what, what's this? the
1: operating margin of an insurance carrier? I mean, like how much money are these guys making?
0: Well, they are. There's a reason that these insurance carriers have lasted so long at the top of the line of the business. Like they make money and they throw off. I mean, when you look at the performance, not of the carriers, some of these insurance agencies, um, uh, especially the ones that are traded publicly, they do extremely well. I mean, I think it's Brown and Brown Insurance has outpaced the S and P 500 basically since 2014. Um, they've done better than tech. If you take away 2020 to 20, yeah. you know, basically since 2000, they've outperformed tech. If you take away 2020 to 2022. Right. Um,
1: And they're running a lot on just operate, like on leverage, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's, so the cost I mean, of capital it, isn't much to, right. to service this stuff.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it, traditionally carriers have done really well because you know, it's, it's a risk profile. Right. And so, where they're losing money right now, they just have to readjust rates, which is going to take a couple of years, and then in carriers will be in a really good spot again for the next X amount of time. Kind of got caught with their pants down because there was a race to the bottom, like anybody else, with trying to get as much, you know, especially with new carriers coming on board. There was a lot of new competition in what, you know, some people will call the insure tech space, but I consider insure tech our, our type of technology. But a lot of new carriers were actually entering the market over the last five to seven years. And there was a race to the bottom in terms of premium because you're trying to buy. It's like
1: Zebra and all
0: these other things. Yeah. Yeah. And so like we had all-time lows for uh, home insurance and for auto insurance. You had all-time lows happening right now. And all of a sudden, then COVID hits, inflation goes through the roof, and now carriers are caught with their pants down. Because they have all-time lows in terms of their premium and the risk profile didn't support that. And you combine that with the increase in some natural disasters and bad timing, that kind of shit happens. Mm-hmm. And so you got caught with your pants down. And so I don't think we'll see that. You're going to see steadily like raising rates here. I my, my guess is significant raised rates for the next two years and then steady, steadily raising rates probably from here on out yeah. for the next 10 years. and then. Everybody will be fat and happy, and it'll be a race to the bottom again. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just how it'll work. And hopefully right. we don't get a massive combination of COVID, massive inflation, and massive natural disasters that'll hit in a you know short period of time.
1: And so- People and what does that mean for independent brokers? Just shrinking margins?
0: Yeah, shrinking margins. So that's always been the case with independents. Is, is some of the shrinking margins, but I mean, um, the biggest issue that independents are having right now is. But weren't
1: there more? Wasn't there more growth in the independent space? Like when I first talked to you, like before COVID yeah, and
0: stuff? Like, yeah, and there's still growth. I mean, there, there's the move out of the captive space right, into the independent right. space. So there's more independent agents, and that that is growing. And there's there's actually some um, new data that's showing that. Um, even on the independents have dominated the commercial space, right? Not a lot of people go directly online to a carrier to sell to buy commercial. So independents have always dominated They're like they write like seventy five or 80, 80 plus percent of that business. But the personal lines has is the one that had been shrinking to the kind of direct to consumer insured tech. And now we're starting to see you know we're still waiting for um you know we won't have twenty twenty three data, but the trend towards the end of twenty twenty two and early in twenty twenty three was independents were writing, they were increasing that threshold in terms of that percentage of what they were writing on the personalized insurance, which is super interesting to me. Um, and I think we could expect to see that to continue. Nice. Nice.
1: So you were a professional football player. Yes. So you're just slightly more athletic than me. Slightly. Slightly. Yeah. What, you know, people talk about leadership a lot and they talk about team a lot. And I think that, you know, it's kind of one of those things like water's wet, duh. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, but when you don't have it, it's so apparent, right. You know, so what does that mean exactly? Like leadership and team specifically transitioning Mm -hmm. in football into, into the business world.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, everybody talks about it. Um, It's really hard to put into words. And it's because like, and I think in sports too, you've seen this move. Like if you, anybody who's followed sports and it, it like in very closely, you've seen the move to analytics. Right. And, it, and it's heavily part, but one thing you can't measure, I think is emotion and motivation and leadership. And like the guys that bring that to the table doesn't necessarily show up in A the numbers and the stat, but I think it really matters. And I, I think one thing is I've been super fortunate to be around some of the best leaders, I think in the world, I've, I've been fortunate to, you know, be around great football players, great coaches, you know, there's this, when I played with the Eagles, for example, we used to bring in a lot of like military, but it wasn't just any military. Like we're, they're bringing in the Navy SEALs. They're bringing mm-hmm. in the green berets. Like we're, they're bringing in, we wanted to hang out with the best of the best. We were bringing in Olympic athletes. Like we bring in like Michael Phelps. And it's because when you're at that level, you want to be, it, it's, and this is probably the thing I really enjoyed about my time, especially at a young age at the NFL is no matter who I was hanging out with, they were the best. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just the players. This is the best coaching staff, right? This is mm-hmm. the best coaches in theory, right? At that level. These are the best trainers. These are the best doctors. These are the best weightlifting staff. These are some of the best cooks, These are some of the best, you know, uh, you know, whoever accountants right at that level, like whoever, who, who, whatever role you were doing in that building, you were the best at you're probably the best janitor. You're probably the best equipment manager. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of got obsessed with that mindset of like being around people that were the best at whatever they do. And I think that was my greatest learning experience. And so when you talk about leadership and sports to business, it's like, I was quickly able to see like who has and who doesn't. And, and a lot of it is, you know, maybe being able to captivate a room, being able to speak to people. Um, but I was quickly able to see like, all right, this, this person's a leader. Like I can buy into, you know, I can buy into what they're selling and be around them. Or I don't think this person's a great leader or, And I I quickly started to like realize that and and be able to talk to that. And um, some of it is the way you talk. Some of it is just your presence. Some of it is how you carry yourself. Um, I think a lot of goes into it, but I I think a lot of it has to do with like, it just, you can tell when somebody's committed to their craft, but are you actually committed to it or not? And I think that comes off no matter what, like, are you just getting by? Is this just a job to you? Um, Or are you really like all in, like willing, like willing to put it out on the line for, you know, are you, are you, are you willing to bleed for this? Like there was people that I played football with that I was like, yeah, you're here and you, and you love it. But like, I, I know you're not all in, but like, are you willing to like, you know, we have 6am workouts. Are you willing to show up with me at 5am and get an extra workout in with me? Are you willing to show up at four o'clock in the afternoon, do a second workout of the day? Like, are you that type of committed? Mm -hmm. And you know, 95% of guys that I played football with were not probably more than that. Like I had this whole saying like, and, um, I don't know if my dad taught it to me, who was a military guy or what, but it was just like outwork whoever's in the room with you. And like, I just took that approach to football and it got me as far as I just was willing to outwork everybody, whatever anybody else was doing, I was going to do more. And so like, I remember when I first got to Youngstown state, when I played college football, I kind of like got the lay of the land. I knew what people were doing. I got our schedule and whatever everybody else was doing, there were some people doing extra work. I just did more. So I I just constantly did more. And then when it, when I got done playing football and went to my first job, I was like, well, If I want to be, I got to be the best to be able to move up. So I need to put in more time in, I need to be able to do more. Like I just figured out, you just have to outwork people. It's like to this day, like I just, I get up at four 30 to do all the things I need to do. So then I can still get my kids up and spend the time. Like I try to do the best at whatever, at everything I'm trying to do.
1: So doing some self-reflection, right? Do you think that being the best, right? And your insatiable drive to be the best is a function of, like, how would you wait that like, Hey, I've got, you know, something that makes me feel inferior. Right. And so I have to prove to everybody them the best versus I want to inspire people. And yeah. how do you think about that?
0: I, I think about it this way is I don't think I have to prove it to anybody except myself. Mm-hmm. It's an internal thing. I don't, and I think that's how you inspire others. I think that just rubs off naturally. I think if you're trying to prove it to others, that's going to come out. And I think yes. it comes out indirectly and maybe yes. unintentionally. I think if you're just trying to, like, you're that committed to being the best version of yourself. Because ultimately, you can only control what you control. Right? I can't control what other people are doing if they're naturally more athletic or whatever. But I can, I can figure out how to get to my peak. I can figure out my best and i think if you're you're focused on being the best version of yourself i think that comes off naturally and whether that means like you're the ceo of a company or you're running a team or whatever that ultimately comes back to like are you a leader are you really doing the work to be the best version of yourself and i think if you get a team that looks at life that way i think that ultimately is leadership and whether you're a person running a team or not if you're showing up to work every single day or whatever it is that you're trying to be the best at that's going to come off and you're naturally going to be leading
1: and then so I do believe that's a huge part of it. It's kind of like you, you need to create a gravitational pull, whether that's intentional or not, right? right, by your daily action, because that's what's going to give authentic followers. Right. How much of leadership to you is, you know, uh, wanting to want to help people, you know, and to develop people and, and that piece of it?
0: Yeah, that, that's a really good question.
1: I only answer. I ask the really good questions. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm yeah. really fucking good at this as well. I'm not, I'm not sure.
0: Because I, I, I do think part of leadership, right, is, is wanting to help others and getting the most out of them. But I can't help you if you don't want to be helped. Mm-hmm. Right? And I can't help you if I'm not willing to help myself. Mm-hmm. And so I think, like, I go back to it all has to be, it all has to start with yourself. Like, are you... Are you putting in the work and the effort to be the best version of yourself? And whether I'm going out of my way to help somebody else on the team or not, or if I'm just showing up the best I possibly can, I think that not, that will always rub off. And so whether you're intentionally trying to go and help others or not, I think leaders show up in different ways. Yeah. Like some, there's, there's going to be some people like I don't think I'm like a rah-rah guy. Right. Like I was not a, I was not ever a rah-rah guy on any of my teams. Um, I was always like the level headed guy, like, Hey, it's never too high. It's never too low. It's never as good. It's never as bad. Um, how do you show up? You know, how do you make, how do you, the next play is the best play. Like, how do you make the next play the best play? Like we're down 21. I can't, we can't, it's the second quarter. We are we can't score 21 points on this drive, but what I can do is read the right coverage on the right route. What I can do is make this block. What I can do, that's what I can control right this second. Mm-hmm. What I can do is make sure that I, get, I understand what the play call is, align myself correctly, don't jump off sides, read the right coverage, run the right route, and get myself in position to be available to the quarterback. Right, like, That's what I can control. And so I, I think being able to show up that you're going to be reliable no matter what, that's a version of leadership. And I, I, th- I think it comes off in different ways. Like We have people on our team that don't manage anybody, but they're so reliable that it's like, how could you not be reliable to them? Now everybody else's game is up because you've got to show up for that person because they're always showing up, mm-hmm. and that's how you keep create this team atmosphere of like, well, we may have a raw raw leader, but everybody's leading in their own way because now we got to show up for each other. Now you got something special.
1: Now, now that's when the team actually starts coming together.
0: Right. That's why I like. That's where I'm like. That's that's where you're cooking with grease. Like right. you got something cooking there.
1: Yeah. What. Um what are some of the tips, tricks, routines, habits that you do to keep yourself on top of your game?
0: Um, I think the biggest part is prioritization and I, and I'm guilty of this Is you know, like I'll be talking to my wife about something. I'm like, I don't have time for that. And so we've gotten such a habit in my house of being like, that's not a real response. Like you have time for whatever you want to make time for you, have 24 hours, like anybody else. Like I look at things a lot
1: of time when you really look down when you really look down at it, it's a lot of
0: time. So it's like, what do you want to prioritize? Right. Right. So like, for me, it's like, it it is prioritization. So for me, my tip is like, I just do the things that are most important for me to be on top of my game before anybody else gets up. Mm -hmm. Because if I wait to do things that are important to me, like once my kids are up, my, I don't know what my day is going to look like. Like I may have a schedule right? Like I may have blocked out time to work out. I may have blocked off time to journal or read or do those things. But what if my kid's sick? Mm -hmm. What if I have an urgent meeting? What if we have a big sale come up and I need to be on that call? What if there's a big escalation with a customer? What if our product goes down? Mm -hmm. Those are all things that will take priority in that moment because I need to spend time on it. Right. And, but I can make sure it happens if I just get up before my kids get up it's the first thing. No, you want to, you want to know when nobody's bothering you is between four 30 and seven 30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. No one bothers me at four thirty in the morning. Mm-hmm. No one's up. Yep. So I get up at four 30, I get up and I do the things that are most important to me, to me for my day to be successful from four thirty to seven 30. When I get my girls up. So there's that's, that is my time. My wife's not up. No one can talk to me from four 30 to seven 30. That's when I do the things that I need to do to be at my best that day.
1: Yeah. That's the same thing with me. I get up, I get up at that time as well. And, you know, do the whole meditation, journaling, you know, I mean, reading important emails, thinking, and if I don't do that and I wake up like to a screaming kid, um, I become very abusive
0: Yeah, (laughs) everybody around me. I'm not going to be the best version of myself. It's just not possible. Like I have to do that. I, that, It's just a prioritization of time. Like I down, I know down to the minute what I'm doing between four thirty and seven thirty. Yeah. After seven thirty, I'm not sure. I have a general idea. Right. I have a calendar, and I know I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to be on this meeting. Supposed to work on this project. But again, if something comes up, those all those things can get pushed. Like, what am I going to do? So,
1: so what's four thirty to seven thirty? What are
0: you doing then? So at four thirty, I'm up. I'm brushing teeth. I'm flossing. I'm going outside. I'm hopping in the cold plunge. I'm doing a cold plunge for three and a half minutes. I'm hopping out of that. I'm doing my prayer and Bible study. Um till about four fifty or so. Um from there I'm doing a similar meditation routine till five o'clock. Five o'clock I'm in my garage, uh working out from five o'clock to I don't know, five forty. From five forty to six AM I'm out running to you know, a couple miles. At six o'clock I'm hopping in the sauna for ten minutes. Infrared? Uh no. Okay, just no, regular. No, no, Yeah, just regular. I mean it'd be, it'd be I'm, hardcore I'm, if you did it. I'm that. on the ball and on yeah. the budget version <laughs> of that. <laughs> um so six ten. And then I'm doing my stretching routine from six ten to six twenty. Uh from six twenty to six forty, I'm reading uh another daily devotional plus my journaling. Mm-hmm. From six forty to seven ten, I'm reading um whatever book I'm reading at that time. And then from seven ten to seven thirty, I'm just like thinking about that today and whatever my thoughts are and just trying to get into a deeper level of like whatever I'm working through. Like I, I think a lot more in the morning. So I'm just thinking through like, what do I want? What do I want to do? It, it could be completely random. I could be thinking about football. I don't know. Yeah. I, it's just kind of my time to think through whatever is on my mind that morning. And to like, I really try to write things out because it forces me to think deeply through it. i I'm not a great writer. I'm not a, so I just try to write to force myself to like really think through thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, or I could just be watching film. Cause I miss that aspect of, you know, watching football and definitely. Um, so that's, that's kind of my time. Um, and that's what I do from four thirty to seven thirty.
1: Yeah. My journaling is, um, it's just basically a fear storm.
0: Like, yeah. <laughs> like,
1: yeah. <laughs> like, everything is fucked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. This, go, yeah. Everything's going down. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Basically that's how my Monday started by Friday. I'm like in a pretty zen <laughs> spot. I'm like, yeah, everything's great. I'm grateful. Everything's working out. It's like the pro, the, 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 the timeline of things yeah. that are going on in a week. Yeah.
1: Uh, the stretching impressed me. Yeah, yeah. The stretching impressed me. That's pretty good. If you're nailing 20 minutes of stretching. Well,
0: doesn't. I had to. I I got forced. Um, I had my like my share of injuries playing football, and one of my issues I had was like I think I don't I don't remember what the vertebrae was, but I kept bulging that disc and I herniated mm-hmm. a couple of times. The last one I did was in April 2022. I herniated that same disc again, and the doc, you know, I went to my doctor, and he's like, "Listen, if it happens again, we're looking at spinal fusion surgery here." And I was like, as somebody that's Oof, yeah. never really I've never gone under, I've never had traditional surgery. I've done like, you know, the, the platelet enrichment therapy and some other things and some stem cells, but I've never gone under the knife. Um, I was like, all right, well, I want to avoid this. And so I just got really serious about, you know, my flexibility and started diving down rabbit holes, of stretching and different routines and different thought processes, Eastern medicine in terms of like body movement, things Mm -hmm. like that. Cause what ended my career was I tore my abdominal wall off my pelvic bone (sighs) And it's like, I I came to realize just like, doesn't matter how much I'm doing my core exercises, like traditional, like ab exercises, my core is just weak. Like I have a bad lower back. I tore my abdominal wall. I have tight hip flexors. Like I so I just started trying to figure out how to solve that. And so I just got really in depth in the stretching and, you know, knock on wood, but I've been the healthiest I've been at 32 compared to when I was like 22.
1: Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Uh, What was the most humbling moment for you
0: as a founder? I'll give you two. I've had a humbling moment in life and then a humbling Mm -hmm. moment as a founder. Mm -hmm. Humbling moment in life was going from playing in the NFL and the paychecks that come into that with that to no longer being employed by the NFL and nobody hiring me because I'd get a call back for all my resumes I submitted, but nobody would offer me a job because I had no real work experience. So my first job out of the NFL was working at LA Fitness for $1,200 a month. Wow. So I went from.
1: That must have hurt.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, emotional, not, I mean, like ego. Yeah, not, like, not to disclose too much, but I was probably making more than 12 grand a week right. on game weeks, right? To $1,200 a month. Um, you know, at like the age of 24, like, you know, I went from like probably being extremely overprideful and too proud of myself to, you know, a piece of humble pie there for sure. Yeah. That was probably the most humbling moment in my life. Um, as a founder,
2: You know, I don't know that I've had something as humbling as that happen to me, but I, I think
0: I, I think what happens is we did really well. Like I didn't even have to do anything right to make better agency grow for the first couple of years. And I think when you hit your first bad month and you're like, as a SaaS company and you're like, so used to growing like five, 10% a month. Right. And you're like, all right, we didn't grow. Everybody say, like, Hey, it's okay. Yeah.
1: It's all right. It's, a bad, it's, month. it's, it's bad month. It's yeah, not a big deal.
0: Right. And the second bad month, it's like, that's right, a, well,
1: a bad quarter. <laughs> yeah. And then it's a bad quarter.
0: Then it's a bad six months. Right. Then it's a bad year. Right. And it's like, that, like to go from thinking you've got it all figured out, this isn't hard. What are people really complaining about here to, oh shit, this is like, this is, this is like, this is a real business. This is the real stuff. Right. Like this is, you know, I never thought as a founder or CEO that, I'd have to talk to so many people about mental health, mm. about, you know, going through COVID and Hey, can we get a mental health day? Or can we go, you know, I'm not in a good place. Like I'm actually going to leave my job because I'm not in a mentally good place. Like I, as somebody that's never, you know, unfortunately, like I've never really struggled with that. i just, I just haven't, I never thought I'd have to talk to people about that. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was tough in its own regard. Like I just didn't really understand the responsibilities probably that came with building a company, and the difficulties that come with that, even if things are going well, now reporting to investors of a bad month that turns into a bad quarter that turns into a bad year, but then the actual people dynamics of it, um, you carry that, um, and that that was humbling for me. Like I just, I, I didn't I didn't appreciate how much weight came with that. Um, you know, you just you talk to. A business that's struggling. You talk to an employee that's struggling. You got an employee that's going through a divorce. You got some. You know, you just end up in those conversations, and I realize like I've become a therapist, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know that I expected that responsibility. I don't think that's somebody told, You know, that wasn't my expectation. That wasn't somebody something that I think everybody told me to expect when starting a software company even though I'd run businesses in the past, they were all small teams. Mm-hmm. When you start growing your, you know, 10, you know, five, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 people, it's like, you know, somehow I, I just, you just end up getting invested in, you know, wanting to make sure things are good with each one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I don't know that was just humbling for me to like kind of realize that how much people were struggling with different things, even if their work was going really well. Um, you kind of never really know what's going on on the inside. And I just did the sheer amount of people that were struggling with different things. I, d- I didn't realize how prevalent that was. Um, and it just maybe you know, take a step back and maybe, you know, reevaluate how maybe even I talk to people or treat people or, or, or think about people. Mm-hmm. So,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. I feel that me personally, specific on the investor side, like it's something that honestly, it's not, I mean, like, it's, it's kind of obvious that it happens, but it's not a great thing. But like, honestly, like, you know, our success is, is based on, you know, what, what, what numbers are reported to us and what numbers report to our investors and anything that, you know, deviates from the plan, you know, is, you know, in, in, in our eyes, an excuse, but an excuse Excuses, life is, ha- life is real, right? Life happens, right. right? And it's like, you know, we don't want to hear about burnout. What the fuck are you talking about? Burnout's a startup, you know what I right. mean? And, and, but like, there's not, there's a disconnect. Yeah. There's a complete disconnect on the investor side of the table.
0: Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, even like from a founder perspective, like it's easy to want to go on vacation or be like up in Oregon during the summertime when the summer's good. hmm. But a bad quarter, and all of a sudden, like, you start feeling bad, like, well, maybe I shouldn't be going on a trip. Like, right. maybe I just need to like buckle down and just be here. Right. But then all of a sudden it's like two years roll by. It's like my, my kid's not going to be three and one forever. Right. So like taking that time to spend time with them no matter what is, you know, that's why I prioritize making sure I get 30 minutes with them every morning. I make sure that I'm home. You know, I, I run my schedule accordingly. Not always, I can't always be on time getting home from work. I'm pretty good about it. But, you know, going back to our conversation about like my, the morning routine, like the reason I end everything at seven 30, so I can get my curls up and get them ready for the day. So I know I'm getting that 30 minutes with them from seven thirty to eight o'clock, no matter what happens. So even mm-hmm. if things do blow up at work and I'm home and I, I'm late for dinner or whatever is going on, I still got that time in the morning. Yeah. Um, I think that's made a difference for me.
1: Structurally you're there.
0: Yeah. I what? think that's the hardest part that nobody talks about is like, I think it's easy and maybe this is a. I've just seen this in founders. Like, I think it's easy for, I think it's easier as a founder to say, I'm going to just work all the time to provide for my family. And that's going to be my role in my family. I think it's more challenging as a founder to say, I'm going to be, I'm going to not just be spending time with my family, but completely present in that moment, my family with everything else going on. I've got investors to get back to you. I've got clients that need help. My team needs my help and not being able to block off those thoughts mentally and just be 100% focused, like, with my kids or my family on a weekend or on an evening, I think it's probably one of the more challenging things but about dude, a job.
1: my life would be so much easier if all I had to do was grind at work and, like, make an excuse, I'm doing it for you. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, think it would be, like, I think that's
0: the easier version of life. 100%, yeah. dude. Like,
1: 100%. Like, I would fucking be amazing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like wake up, go to work the yeah. first second you wake up yeah. and just hit those, you know, endorphins yeah. and, and dopamine.
0: That's not the hard part. Like it's no, easy to be a grinder. Easy. I think it's really hard to say, I'm going to stop. Yeah. Knowing phones, things are not done. Thumbs off. Yeah. off. I'm here. Yeah. And be there. Right. Knowing things are not done and just being able to accept that. Mm-hmm. Like that's the challenge. Yeah. No, indeed.
1: Well, awesome to have you. Yeah. On the, on the pod. What, uh, what's your favorite book to give out?
0: Um. Uh, and that's always a good question. I, I'm going to go with like maybe the most recent book that I read that I just, I thought was a lot of fun. Uh The Barbarians at the Gate. Mm. It's an old school book. I think it was written like in the late 80s, early 90s about RJR Nabisco uh and the, you know, uh leveraged buyouts and Wall Street at the time. It's the biggest, you know, private equity deal and the biggest buyout at that time. It's it like, it's a chronological event of like the late 1980s. Um And it was just an enjoyable, it's like a look inside of like a version of Mad Men Mm -hmm. uh, of that time and being on Wall Street and how business was done and like the whole leverage buyouts that were going on back then. And um, like the power of corporate companies coming into play in the 80s and 90s and how that established its foothold into today and how we do things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the best piece of business advice you've ever gotten.
0: I don't know about the best specific business, but I think it's translated to my life. It was football advice, but it's translated to life and Is Things are never as bad or ever as good as you think they are. I think that's right. Be stoic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm a big stoic. Yeah, listen, I read, read stoic philosophy, philosophy basically every day. Nice. Awesome.
1: Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in and listening. To the Capital Stack, we drop an episode every Tuesday. If you like it, please subscribe, tell a friend, and share it. And uh, we'll see you next week for all things value creation and startups. This is David Paul. Thanks. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing.